Baptism is a symbol of what Jesus did for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. Being lowered in the water represents our old life dying. Life dying. Just as Jesus was dead and buried, our past and future sins are gone forever. We are forgiven. We are forgiven. When we are raised out of the water, it represents our new life in Christ. Just as Jesus was resurrected, we are a new, we are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Has come. Today, today we celebrate as people take their next step and tell the world that Jesus has brought them from death to life. life. Today we celebrate the miracle of a changed life based upon their profession in Jesus Christ. In the name name of the Father, the the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Good morning. How are we doing? You guys ready for an awesome baptism service today? Some of y'all are going to get wet. (laughs) Amen. So good morning. If you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll look at verses 14 through 15 together. You don't have a Bible? We've got some here on the shelf. You can follow along up on the screen. We've been reading through these verses every single week in this series because these verses represent the theme for our entire message series, Live for Him. So Paul says here, beginning in verse 14, he says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them, and was raised again. We are to live for Him. So much of our culture is centered around living for ourselves. But as Christians, we don't follow the current of the world. We follow Jesus. Which means we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Him. In week one of this series, we laid the foundation for living for Him. And it all starts with the realization that to live for Him means we have to give up everything for Him. And the best word that describes this is surrender. Every day, we've got a choice to make. Live for me or live for him. Jesus surrendered his will completely to the will of his father by sacrificing his life on the cross for our sins. And our only reasonable response to this is to stop living to satisfy our own selfish and sinful desires and to surrender completely to God's will for our lives by becoming a living sacrifice for him. In week two, we built upon that foundation of surrender and sacrifice by talking about communication. Communication is the basis for any relationship to thrive. And to live for Jesus, we have to communicate with Jesus. Everything rises and falls upon this principle. To live for Jesus, we have to communicate with Jesus. And while there are several ways that we communicate with Jesus, the primary way that he speaks to us is through the Bible. And the primary way that we speak to him is through prayer. 
To live for him means our relationship is driven by a two-way conversation. We listen and he speaks, and he speaks and we listen. God is always speaking, but are we really listening? Let's pray. Father, we invite you here. We love you. We praise you. Thank you for every soul that is here today. I pray that you'd minister immediately right into the need that is represented by every person in this room. We'll give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So God is indescribable. Did you know that? He is indescribable. He has so many attributes, in fact, that I couldn't ever possibly cover them all no matter how much I try. Because he is more awesome and more amazing than our words could ever describe. He is eternal. He has no beginning and he has no end. He is infinite, infinite in power, infinite in knowledge. He never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is everywhere at every moment. Is your mind blown yet trying to comprehend the awesomeness of God? And I not even mention the one attribute that trumps them all. He is good. He is love. He is truth. He is wisdom. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is righteous. He is sovereign. And I could keep going. But there's one attribute that stands out among all the others. You know what it is? He is holy. This is the greatest attribute of them all. He is holy. There is no other attribute about God in the entire Bible that is repeated three times like this one. Now let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. And we're going to see this triple repetition in action. Isaiah is to the right of Psalms. Chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. The prophet Isaiah, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. The one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, in this text, the prophet Isaiah is given a vision of God in all his majesty and glory. What an amazing sight that must have been to behold, right? Are you guys there today? Okay, amen. (laughs) Just checking, just checking. The seraphim, these were fiery angelic beings with six wings. The word seraphim actually means to burn. And you know what's interesting? Is that two of the wings, they had six wings, but two of them were covering the face of the seraphim. You want to know why? Because God's holiness... His glory is too great for even an angelic being in heaven to look at. That's how mighty and magnificent he is. And that's the most distinguishable and most powerful part of this text is God's holiness. The seraphim say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. There is no other attribute about God that is repeated like this one. We don't read that God is love, love, love. We don't read that God is mercy, mercy, mercy. His holiness is the only attribute described with this repetition. And this repetition was for emphasis. His holiness is what sets him apart. 
It's what distinguishes him from everything. It's what expresses his awesomeness. He is perfect. He is pure. And he is set apart from any and all sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him at all. God's holiness is at the very center of who he is. All of his other attributes flow from this one. His love for the world is a holy love. His mercy is a holy mercy. His wrath against sin is a holy wrath. His justice is a holy justice. Because God is holy. And because God is holy, you and I ought to be holy. His word says in both the Old and the New Testaments that we are to be holy because he is holy. So holiness is not optional. You can put that in your blank. Holiness is not optional. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, the major difference between us and God is that God is holy by nature. It's who he is. You and I, on the other hand, can only become holy through a relationship with Jesus. Our holiness is a process. And it begins at the moment we believe in Jesus for our salvation. Jesus sacrificed his life by dying on the cross for the sins of the world. He was buried. And after three days, he took his life back again from the dead. And it was through his resurrection that you and I have the opportunity to be like him and to be saved from our sins, to be fully reconciled with God and to live with him for all eternity. This is the gospel message that makes salvation possible for everyone who believes in Jesus. Now, I've included a chart up here, up here on the screen that can illustrate here the three major aspects of our salvation and how holiness fits into this. Now, this chart ought to look familiar to those of you that are in discipleship, right? Those of you that are in book two, this was last week, wasn't it? Amen. So this is review for you. So when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior by his grace, through our faith, this is the event that occurs that we call justification. We are born into a spiritual rebirth where we are washed by the blood of Jesus and his Holy Spirit then now comes and lives on the inside of us. Amen. Did I hear a woo-hoo up here? Was that you? I didn't know if it was you or Anthony. <laughs> Amen. So we are saved, we are cleansed, and now we're set apart for righteousness. Our position is now in Christ. This is where the pursuit of holiness begins. This is where it all starts. And then that second phase, that sanctification, that's the process of you and I becoming holy. It's where we're becoming like Christ. It's where we are being conformed into the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this process continues all throughout our lives until our spiritual journey is complete and we see Jesus again. And at that moment, we will be saved from the presence of sin forever. We will be like Christ, meaning our journey to holiness will be complete. This is what is referred to as glorification. But the real meat of our lives, the center of our lives, where we're going to spend the greatest amount of time is right here in the middle, which is the process of becoming like Christ. 
And once we believe in Jesus and are justified, God expects us to grow in spiritual maturity through a lifestyle of holiness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says that God's will is for us to be holy. There are only a handful of places in the Bible where you see something that specific where it says God's will is. Or you'll see something like the will of God is. But either way, you don't see that too often. And so when you do see it, that means we ought to take notice. This is one of those places. This is the will of God or God's will is. Anytime you see that, we ought to take notice. That gets your attention? Okay. <laughs> God's will is for you to be holy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, Peter reminds us why we are to be holy. He says here, beginning in verse 14, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything that you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. So there it is. There's the why. Because he's holy, you and I should be holy. Peter, in verse 16, he's quoting from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2 of the Old Testament. And that word for holy or holiness in the Hebrew, it has everything to do with meaning being set apart, being different, or being dedicated. God's character of having absolute moral purity is what sets him apart from everything else. That's what makes him different. And because he is holy, his desire is for you and I to be holy. Now, most people, when they think of holiness, they think about obeying God's law. Or they think about creating a list of do's or don'ts. But holiness is not just about action or behavior. Holiness is about God's very nature. So for us to be holy as he is holy, we simply need to reflect his character. In other words, we don't live like we did before we knew Christ, nor do we live like the rest of the world. We are to live as citizens of heaven. We are to be set apart and to be different from the rest of the world. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. You follow me? Okay. We are to be set apart and different. And this isn't something that we do by our own willpower. This is really important. We cannot do this by our own willpower. No, we rely on the strength that God provides through His Holy Spirit. We trust in Him completely. And we follow him with our whole lives. And the best part about being holy as he is holy is that it is what leads to true and lasting joy. The enemy will try to convince you that God is a killjoy and that following him is a burden too great to bear. But he's a liar. He is a liar. God is the source of real and meaningful joy. And it's through being holy that we can experience this true and meaningful joy. Listen to me, holiness is not about abstaining from pleasure. No, being holy is about understanding that Jesus is the source of life's greatest pleasure. All too often, pink they, or people think that they have to give up being happy in order to be holy. But nothing could be further from the truth. True happiness is found in holiness. Nothing will satisfy us more than a relationship with Jesus. 
So many things in this world will try to compete with that. But the reality is a relationship with Jesus that is focused on the pursuit of holiness is the only thing that will lead to true and meaningful joy. Now, holiness is not a behavioral issue as much as it is an affection issue. It's not that our behaviors don't matter. They do matter, and they matter a great deal. But our behaviors only reflect what kind of affection we have towards Jesus. We are the most holy when we are the most in love with Jesus. Do you hear that? We are the most holy when we are the most in love with Jesus. We are the most holy when we are so full of faith in God's promises that we actually live by them. We are the most holy when the gospel dictates our life's priorities. So the reality is, we are the most holy when we are the most happy in God. Holiness should not be uh, dominated by our denial, where we think more about what we have to give up to follow Christ. Holiness should be dominated by our delight, where we're thinking more about what we will gain in Christ. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is what true holiness brings. Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Holiness is not a state of denial. It's a state of delight. Because holiness is not a behavioral issue as much as it's an affection issue. So what is your affection towards Jesus? Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Our affection for him is what motivates our obedience. And it's also what reveals our level of holiness. And the more holiness we experience, the more joy and pleasures we will have. Now, one very practical way that we can demonstrate holiness is by our obedience. And once we've obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ by placing our complete faith in Jesus, the very next step that we should take is baptism. While baptism is not essential for salvation, it is the first step of obedience after receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Baptism is a command. And Jesus modeled this command for us as even he was baptized while he was here on this earth. Baptism is an outward expression of the inward reality that has taken place in our hearts. Baptism is how we publicly identify with the greatest sacrifice in all of human history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It means we've turned away from our old lives of sin, and we've now turned to live a new life in Jesus. And here's one of the most amazing and rewarding things about the baptism. When a person is baptized, they are actually visually preaching the gospel. Do you know that? They're visually preaching the gospel. That's what makes baptism so amazing. As the person is standing in the water, they symbolize Jesus dying on the cross. When they're lowered into the water, this symbolizes Jesus being buried in the tomb. And as the person is raised up out of the water, it symbolizes Jesus resurrecting himself from the dead. So Romans chapter 6, verses 2 through 4 says this. It says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as you were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we who were buried with him through baptism into death, 
that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. This is why when I baptize someone, you're first going to hear me ask them a question. I'm going to say, have you made the decision? Have you made the decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That's the first thing. This decision is made solely by the person's faith, as baptism itself will not save you. It's by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Jesus alone. That is what saves you. Now, after I ask that question, I will then lower that person into the water, and I'll say, buried with Christ, as they go down into the water. And then as I raise them up, I will say, raised to walk in newness of life. That's where it comes from, right here, Romans chapter 6. Baptism is an incredibly powerful thing. When a person makes the public profession of their faith, they are in fact committing to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, this picture to the left is a very simple illustration of what's going on during baptism. When we are baptized and we go under the, under the water, we are dying to our old lives. All of our sins, all of our past, all of our self-centeredness, all of that dies. And when we come up out of the water, we are leaving all of that behind. And we're now committing to live our lives no longer for ourselves, but for Him. We're living for Him. Now, baptism is not only a public profession of our faith. It's also a declaration of war against our enemy. Do you know that? It sure is. It's like us sending Satan our own declaration of independence. Here you go, buddy. Take that. Right in your face. I love it. Because now we no longer belong to this world. We belong to Jesus. We are set apart to be holy as he is holy, as citizens of heaven. And now you've got heaven's army all at your back. Baptism is one of many practical applications of becoming holy. Today we get to celebrate our first remnant baptism service. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I want to encourage you as we make our way outside in just a few moments, I want to encourage you that if you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, if you feel that, to either make the decision to commit your life to Him or be baptized, or both, or both, I tell you, don't ignore that. Don't ignore that. Don't shy away from it. Today is the day of salvation. We don't know if there will even be a tomorrow. So don't let putting these decisions off. Don't sit there and think about, oh, goodness, I didn't bring any clothes. All you're going to do is get wet. Believe me, you'll dry off. I think you'd, much be, you'd be much happier if you just took that step of obedience to obey your Father in heaven who wants to welcome you with open arms. So, and listen, we've got you covered anyway. We've got extra towels. I got some extra shirts. So don't let that stuff be a burden to you. I remember when my wife and I were baptized a few years ago. Actually, it was several years ago. And it was a spontaneous thing. We showed up for service and we just heard the invitation. We're like, oh, we need to do this. So we did. We didn't have any clothes. We didn't have any towels. We weren't prepared. Nothing. We just took the plunge. No preparation, nothing. And it was absolutely amazing. So don't let anything deter you. Every time that I've been part of a baptism service, it just lights up my heart. 
Even more so when I see somebody respond spontaneously. Somebody who wasn't prepared, but yet responded to the Holy Spirit and took that step of obedience anyway. Oh, I love it. So if that's you and the Holy Spirit's working on you, I got a few more minutes before we're heading outside. (laughs) A few more minutes. (laughs) God's will is for us to be holy. We are to be holy because He is holy. We are to be set apart. We're not to live for the world, for our friends, for our family, or even for ourselves. We are to live for Him, which means we are to live as citizens of heaven, always striving for holiness. And our becoming holy, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And this process begins the moment we believe in Jesus for our salvation. Ashton, you're ready, man. Dude, I love it. You're already changed and ready to go, my friend. Awesome. Listen, we don't rely on our own willpower when we're in this process. We rely on the strength that God provides through His Holy Spirit. The more holiness we experience, the more joy and pleasures that we're going to have. Because in His presence is fullness of joy. And at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Being holy is not about giving up pleasure it is not no being holy is all about understanding that jesus is the greatest source of holiness and pleasure that there is he is all too often the people think they have to give up being happy in order to be holy but as i said nothing could be further from the truth true happiness is found in holiness so we long for his presence in our lives don't we we long for that presence and that's what drives our affection And it's our affection for Jesus that motivates our obedience. And it's also our affection for Jesus. That is what leads us to holiness. Because holiness is not as much about a behavioral issue as it is an affection issue. So what is your affection towards Jesus? Do you really know him? Because if you know him, you will love him. And if you love him, you will obey him. And if you know, love, and obey him what's going to happen? You're going to become holy. That's the ticket. That's how it happens. Just as you experience becoming holy, you will experience true joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are holy, holy, holy. Unlike anything out there, you stand alone. You are set apart. And we worship you today, Father, in spirit and in truth. And I ask right now, Jesus, if there's someone here that's struggling with obeying you, either the gospel itself in committing their life to you, or maybe it's baptism and obedience, whatever that it is, Lord, work in their heart. Draw them to you as we know your Holy Spirit does. I pray right now, Father, that you would help us to live lives set apart, that we live for you. We live for you completely, surrendered to your will. I thank you that you're a mighty God, Lord. I thank you that we have a beautiful sunshine day out there to go out and celebrate baptism together. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So here's what's going to happen. For those of you that want to get baptized and you brought a change of clothes, this will be the time for you to step out and go do that. Go ahead and get changed. Others of you, um, here in a moment, I'm going to dismiss you. If you've got kids, I'd encourage you to go pick up your kids because this is something we want to celebrate together as a family, 
right? We want everyone to take part in this. So collect up your kids. The other thing I'm going to say here is as I dismiss you in a few minutes is if you need prayer, if there's something that you need prayer about and you want to come forward, I'll be right here as we're getting situated for baptism. I'll be happy to pray with you, be happy to talk to you. If you're not sure of your salvation and that's something you want to make sure today, you want to commit yourself to Jesus and you want to do that, I'm right here. I'd love to talk to you. Or if you want to get baptized and you weren't planning on it, it's okay. We got whatever you need. We'll take care of you. And so as we close, <clears throat> we're going to make our way outside. And here's what I need. I need some men. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at you. I'm looking right at you, buddy. <laughs> I won't call your name out. Um, I'm look, I need some men to help carry some chairs outside so that those of us that need to sit down or take a, take, take a load off, we can do that. So if you'll help get chairs outside first, and then the rest of you can make your way outside around the baptismal. And so we'll be ready here in a few minutes. But if you need prayer, come forward. Love to pray with you. God bless you. We'll see you in just a few minutes. Please stay around for this. This is really awesome to do this together.